When I was a young child growing up in Claremont, New Hampshire, there was an old Victorian-style home perched on a hill not far from my own house. To my young and impressionable eyes, this house looked creepy and unnatural, with its strange cupolas and unusual coloring. It felt out of place as it sat decaying in the elements. But at the same time, it seemed to have this imposing and intimidating power. As a young boy, I knew nothing about who lived in that house or what the history of the house was. Yet, of course, me and everyone I knew, my friends, my brother, his friends, were certain that the house must be occupied by a witch. I remember the strange feeling that I would get every time I looked at this odd house on a hill, wondering what must be happening behind its walls. But what did seven-year-old me know about witchcraft? What did it even mean for me or anyone else to say that a witch lived in that house? Of course, I never even gave these questions a thought at the time. It just seemed obvious that a witch must live in such a house, and that's all that really mattered. So let's think about those questions now. What exactly is a witch, and why would I think that one lived in that house in my neighborhood? Are we talking about the Wicked Witch of the West in her pointy cap and green face stirring a cauldron? Or are we talking about Hermione Granger or Sabrina, typical teenagers who happen to have unusual powers? Or maybe it's the Bell Witch or Molly Dyer, the infamous Blair Witch, more mysterious and frightening? Or maybe a witch is some spiritual being who focuses on empowerment? Or perhaps a witch is all of these things, or none of them at all. The fact is our notion of who or what a witch is has been heavily convoluted and twisted over the years, mostly by popular culture. But if you want to try to understand the Salem witch trials, it's fundamental to recognize that for the Puritans of late 17th century New England, there was little ambiguity about what a witch was and what they were capable of doing. For them, witches were serious business, not characters in a movie or television show, or visions from their imagination. In this episode, we're joined by Alyssa Connery, a historian and writer who's studied witchcraft in colonial New England and who will help us understand exactly how people in the late 17th century perceived witches and witchcraft and what they did to protect themselves from their evil power.
Most importantly, we have to recognize that Puritans believed wholeheartedly in witches and in the power of witchcraft. In the pre-enlightened world of the late 17th century, scientific knowledge was extremely limited, and that meant that witchcraft and magic often ended up filling this void of understanding. The neighborhood for the town folk for you know the everyday person it was really the bad magic that they feared so witchcraft could be anything from my next door neighbor used witchcraft to spoil my butter or my next door neighbor used witchcraft to kill my cow and it could go all the way up through like my next door neighbor used witchcraft to kill my child but it was mostly those kind of more mundane things. It was sort of born from these close relationships and conflicts. And, you know, oftentimes it would be a neighbor who accused someone or someone who you knew. And it's just as important to understand that witchcraft and magic were believed to be powers that were derived from the devil himself. An individual would, in effect, have been seduced by the devil and persuaded to sell his soul for these earthly powers. This meant that while the Puritans might attribute countless misfortunes, from bad weather to the death of a child, to the strange dealings of witchcraft or magic, such thinking fit neatly within the strict Calvinist belief system that they held. I think for all of human history, magic has been a way to explain misfortune. So while regular people are aware of the demonic aspect of it and the, the, the ties with the devil, this is something that people have always believed and always done. They've always blamed magic for their misfortunes. In a way, it's this Christian view of the devil and the demonic pact that gets sort of superimposed over the sphere that already exists of explaining misfortune. And these beliefs stretched back for centuries, having migrated to America from Europe with the great Puritan migration that began in the 1630s. Europe, an interesting thing happened around the beginning of the 15th century where the crime of witchcraft sort of emerged. It was a crime that was very specific. There was the magic piece, perpetuating harmful magic on people, but it was also married with this idea of devil worship and diabolism. So the witch was somebody in the minds of early modern Europeans who basically made sort of a pact with the devil to be able to commit harmful magic. It starts out mostly being a religious crime in the beginning. As we get you know, later into the early modern period, it becomes more of a secular crime. And so, you know, when you're thinking about people in New England who had come from England, you know, in the 1630s or so, they had these beliefs. This was passed down from generation to generation, this belief in witchcraft and magic. And since that middle 16th century society is prosecuting people for this crime of witchcraft, so by the time they get over here, you know, that's very much ingrained in the culture and in the worldview. But I would say that in the 1690s, especially in New England, this is still very real to people.
It should also be noted that as it was in Europe during the early modern period, the majority of those who were accused of using the devil's magic or witchcraft were women. According to historian Carol Carlson, nearly 80% of accused witches in New England from the early 17th to the early 18th century were female. And these statistics reflect what had occurred in Europe for centuries before. So was this a case of unadulterated misogyny? There are absolutely aspects of misogyny when you're talking about kind of the big picture. It is very much predominantly women. And the main reason is, is a misogynistic reason, I think. I mean, it was the belief that women were the weaker vessel and they were more susceptible to the devil and to witchcraft. For the most part, it seems like ideas about women informed ideas about witchcraft, but it wasn't necessarily a sort of conscious conspiracy. Imagine the average Puritan living in Massachusetts in the 1690s, going about their life never far from concerns about the havoc witchcraft and magic might bring to their doorstep. Was their poor crop that season the result of some magic? Was the illness of their child brought on by the evil doings of a neighbor? These thoughts always bubbled up in their minds. So what can one do to fight back against this scourge? For as long as belief in magic has existed, people did their best to protect themselves from its ill effects. And they did this, perhaps ironically, if not surprisingly, by using counter magic. They would use magic to protect themselves against magic. And there's an example of this in Salem, like in, almost immediately someone uses counter magic. Mary Sibley, you know, when she, she tells Tichuba to make the witch cake, the witch cake is a form of counter magic. They use this witch cake to try to find the witch. Counter magic really has, has two purposes. It's, it's to protect from witchcraft, but also to discover witches. And, you know, this is being done left and right. There's examples of this. There's the witch bottles that people would, would put, you know, on the hearth. They would put the bewitched person's urine in the bottle. They would put uh, pins and needles and sharp, sharp objects inside the bottle. They would put it on the hearth to heat it up. And the idea was that those pins would somehow infiltrate the, like the essence of the witch that was inside the urine, and then the witch would feel pain. And then when you saw someone feeling pain for you know no reason, and it was someone that you suspected of witchcraft, you could be like, aha, we discovered you using this counter magic. And you, then you have what I wrote my thesis on, which is the apotropaic markings, the symbols that are carved into wood in people's houses that we believe had protective uses, um, certain symbols that were carved. So this is widespread. It's not something that they're going to talk about with their minister at church, but it's being done because it's human. It's, it's beliefs persisting. It's just this persistence of belief and this accommodation of these old beliefs with Christian beliefs.
It was a world filled with swirling nefarious sorcery, powered by the devil and the neighbors who had sold out to him. In the minds of the late 17th century Puritan, the dangers that were inherent in this evil magic represented an existential threat to their continued existence in this new world. And while we may scoff at their naivete and ignorance, for them, nothing could have been more serious. It was real. It was real. It was real. They believed it. They feared it. That's one thing you have to just get into that mindset if you're going to understand this. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.